Here's today's devotional from Matthew 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared before them, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While Peter was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down in terror. Then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said. Do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Do not tell anyone about this vision until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why then did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, Elijah does indeed come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him whatever they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man will suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them about John the Baptist. When they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering terribly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. O unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, How long must I remain with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Then Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment. Afterward, the disciples came to Jesus privately and asked, Why couldn't we drive it out? Because you have so little faith, he answered. For truly, I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. When they gathered together in Galilee, Jesus told them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. And the disciples were deeply grieved. After they had arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter and asked, Does your teacher pay the two drachmas? Yes, he answered. When Peter entered the house, Jesus preempted him. What do you think, Simon? he asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect customs and taxes? From their own sons or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the sons are exempt, Jesus declared. But so that we may not offend them, go to the sea, cast a hook, and take the first fish you catch. When you open its mouth, you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. And this is God's word. Now here's my devotional on this passage. Matthew chapter 17. God's law required Jewish men to pay a flat tax at every census for the service of the tent of meeting, according to verse 18, and also Exodus chapter 30, verses 11 through 16. By the time Jesus came, 
This tax had become an annual fee required of every man in Israel between 20 and 50 years old. So the tax we read about here in Matthew chapter 17, verses 24 through 27, was not a Roman tax, but a fee paid for the ongoing ministry of the temple. Every good Jewish man paid it as part of his faithfulness to God in obedience to God's law. This is why Peter answered quickly and confidently when he was asked if Jesus paid the temple tax in verses 24 and 25. Other men might be tax cheats and religious deadbeats, but Peter was certain that Jesus was not among them. It turned out, however, that Peter spoke out of turn. If you were an Uber driver, you would not charge your own kids if you drove them to school, even though you charge everyone else for the same ride. That would just be weird and stupid to charge your kids in that way. Likewise, Jesus did not pay the temple tax because he's the son of God, as verse 5 reminded us. There was no need for him to pay his father for admission to their house, as we saw in verses 25 and 26. Peter had just witnessed Christ's transfiguration in verses 1 through 8, so he could have, should have reasoned his way to the right conclusion. But because of what Peter said, Jesus now had to pay the temple tax. Otherwise, he'd appeared to be deceptive, and the situation would have caused stumbling or offense in verse 27 to those who had asked Peter the question. Because Peter is the one who put Jesus on the hook for these taxes, he could have taken responsibility to pay Jesus' tax himself. Christ could have insisted that Peter do so for the same reason. Here you need to learn your lesson, Peter, so pay my tax and yours. Instead, Jesus told Peter to go perform a miracle that would pay both Jesus and Peter's tax, according to verse 27. This story demonstrates the implication of two truths in this passage. One is that Jesus is the Son of God, as the transfiguration demonstrated in verses 1 through 8, especially verse 5. The implication of that truth is that the temple belongs to him, so he doesn't need to pay for it. A second implication grows out of verses 22 and 23. There, Jesus predicted his death. That passage did not explain that Jesus' death would cover the disciples' sin obligation before God. But we know that was the purpose of it. Here, Jesus takes on the obligation of Peter, providing for his temple tax as well as the one Peter's quick mouth obligated Jesus to pay in verse 27. Instead of making Peter pay these obligations himself, Jesus provided payment for Peter's obligation to God if Peter believed and did what Jesus told him to do in verse 27. This is a simple illustration, then, of what Christ has done for all of us. Not only are we obligated to serve and worship God, but we incur greater obligation to him every time we speak untruthful words or do evil things. Yet Christ provides the means to cover all of our obligations to a holy and perfect God. And of course, he did that through his death for us on the cross. Here's another truth to think about from this passage. How confident are we that the things we say are true or false based on our faith relationship with God? When people ask us if a loving God would send people to hell... Or would God ever disapprove of two people loving each other, even if they are the same sex? 
or one is already married, or a guy and a girl want to live together without getting married? Would God disapprove of that? What about if someone asks us if Christianity is the only way to God? Or could a sincere adherent to another religion who never heard the gospel, could that person be saved? Or any other of a long list of questions. Do we give scriptural answers to these questions? Or do we answer off the cuff, based on our assumptions on God's behalf, like Peter did? What about if someone asks us if all infants who die go to heaven? Or whether or not Jesus would vote for a certain presidential candidate? Do you speak your answer confidently like Peter did in verse 24? Or do you talk through scriptural principles with the person who asked you, like Jesus did with Peter? We are too often too quick with our words, too confident about our answers. There are biblical principles that apply to any question in the previous paragraph and in any other kind of, of question that we may face. And so I'm not at all saying that we can't give good, a good answer to those questions because, of course, we can. Instead, I'm asking you to consider your words. Do you speak for God recklessly like Peter did in verse 24? Is there a better way to handle the question of unbelievers? That's something to think about today as you go about your day. May the Lord bless you, and we'll see you next time.